you're listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast, hosted by Zach Bechtold and Matt Franks. If you'd like to learn more about the Bearded Theologians, you can go online at beardedtheologians.com, where we have past podcasts, blogs, and a couple items for sale. So check us out, beardedtheologians.com. Thank you for listening, and enjoy this week's show. listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast hosted by Matt Franks and Zach Bechtold. And today we have a very, uh, very special guest um, with us today. We have Dr. Jeffrey Mahan, who is recently uh, an emeritus professor from, from ILIF um, School of Theology, a place that I went and got my MDiv and got to know uh, Jeffrey there and uh, quickly became one of my favorite human beings on this planet. Um, Jeffrey, thank you for being with us today. Oh, I'm delighted to have a chance to be with you. Um, I've, I've thought highly of the podcast for a long time, and I'm grateful for a chance both to talk about my book and to talk more importantly about how religion might be changing in digital culture. Absolutely. Well, uh, before we jump into all that, would you would you let our listeners know a little bit about yourself? You know, who you are, where you're from, and what you're doing these days? Sure. Um, Bill Caspi used to say I started out as a child. Uh, you never quite know where to, to, to begin these things. Um, I did my own theological education at Garrett Evangelical in Chicago, and I was the pastor of uh, inner city churches and racially changing neighborhoods for about seven years uh, before going back into theological education. I was on the Garrett faculty for a while, uh, but spent the bulk of my career at ILIF, where I did a whole range of things, including Gastinta's dean. Um, my my, in my time there, my work on religion and media uh, shifted. Um, when, certainly when I was a graduate student and earlier in my career, uh, I was really a, a film and television and literature guy. So I was interested in thinking about how religion and Christianity more specifically shaped popular culture and was reflected in popular culture. More recently, I've been interested in thinking about media, not just in terms of its content, but in terms of the way that the form of media itself uh, shapes the way that we live in the world, the way we practice our faith. I love that. Um, that's something I got to experience firsthand there, there at ILIF. Um, and little did I know when I walked into your class that you had just such a, just a passion and knowledge for, for that very thing, how, mm-hmm. how media, how religion shape, shape the world around us. And uh, out of really all of the classes I took at ILIF, that was the one that affirmed me the most uh, in, mm-hmm. in what I believe my calling is to, to be a pastor. And because uh, that's a, I don't know, maybe often, often times and often in the church, we're slow to get on board uh, yeah. with what's going on currently. And, and from day one, you're like, nope, here it is. This is what we're doing and where we're going. And it's not going anywhere. 
Uh, and I think at that point in time, we've been doing the podcast a couple of years. I was like, man, this guy gets it. I'm going to, I'm going to soak up everything he's got. <laughs> Great. Yeah, so I, I, appreciate I, do that. Think, I appreciate your voice in that. Yeah. I think part of my work has just been permission giving. Yeah. Um, I do know some things and have some things to share, but, um, I really think, uh, the, a significant piece of what I, have done is just to say to matter there there really is a shift going on and it's important that you lean into it um that that we get past the point where we're just resisting it yeah and i i think that's something that the last uh two years or so have really thrust us into um i wrote i mean i've just done i've had the opportunity to do so much in the digital world as far as church is concerned uh but until, until COVID hit, it was all just kind of theory and <laughs> I hope this is what it's going to be or what it may be. And we went into praxis really quickly yeah. Uh, yeah. with all of this. Yeah, there was a steep learning curve for a lot of people because yeah. before COVID, I think a lot of people thought of this as a kind of luxury. Uh, you know, it was something that hip young pastors did and, you know, a few other people tried to figure out, but it was sort of one of a range of ways that you could focus. And COVID said, nope, this is, you know, this is the world we live in, at least in the moment. Um, and I think it's now clear we're not, we're never entirely going back to some pre-COVID reality. Um, so we live in a, in a, religion in a digital world. And for me, one of the really important things to recognize about that is that it's not just a matter of technology, um, of, of acquiring a set of tools in order to continue to present the same old message about the same old church. The digital world invites us to think about our identity, um, the way we relate to each other, what religious authority looks like in really new ways. And so I try to get at that by talking about the digital as a kind of metaphor um, rather than as a, primarily as a technology. Uh, and so it's worth sort of stopping and saying, so what do we mean by digital? And uh, all, all we really mean is that in the digital world, all information can be broken down into tiny little pieces, which the technocrats call bits and bytes. Um, and though those bits are infinitely shuffleable. So nothing's ever finished. Everything's always in a constant uh, re-editing, renegotiation. Uh, so uh, you see this in your work when you do something in a sermon and you pluck a piece out of it to rework for a newsletter article or to use on the podcast. Um, and, and my argument is that people come then to think not only about information in this way, but about their own lives and their relationships, that they are constantly under renegotiation, reconstruction, that they're constantly fluid and in motion in a way that old models of print culture uh, taught us to think that you got to a finished product. 
um, everything's now done. Um, that's a, that's a lot. Let me stop there and see what well, you might want. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately, not just only in the fact of uh, a lot of places where we are with uh, Omicron are having to shift mm -hmm. back into fully virtual spaces again because of just numbers and, you know, safety yeah. procedures. And it got me thinking about, I wonder what this looked like uh, at the time of the Reformation when, you know, the, the printing press came out. I kind of feel like it's kind of in that era. Now, granted, it's different because of the the media is different, but yet, in some ways, it kind of feels the same with that transition of accessibility: who has access to it and who doesn't, and that struggle that we face in the church today of who has, uh, in you know, in the area that I'm in in eastern Oklahoma, you know, internet accessibility is a thing. Like, you know, that's sure. that's very difficult to come by. Sure. Uh, and then you even start talking about bandwidth mm -hmm. and all that other stuff. And, yes. and so we have to, as we are crafting our digital ministry models, we're having to be sensitive to that. And how can we do yeah. uh, a good quality ministry, but very limited space. And sure. just thinking sure. about how, um, you know, that was definitely not something I was trained in seminary for. <laughs> yeah. um, and, and, and what kind of pivots are you seeing in yeah. theological education to help people that may be going into the ministry field be able to make those a little bit easier than someone like me? Yeah. So, so there are a couple of things there I want to I want to pick up on. Um, the the question of, of accessibility of who has access and how much access do they have is real and vital and and we have to think carefully about what is possible for the communities that we work that we work for. At the same time, I think we have to resist what you hear people say sometimes, which is something like this. Well. My congregation's a bunch of old people and they don't have very good um, internet access and they're not really interested in these things. So we can just ignore it. And I think the reality is all of us live in a world that is shaped by this new digital reality. And even if our reaction to it is resistance, it doesn't stop the world changing around us in the same way that the fact that not everybody could read didn't mean after the um, you know after Gutenberg that the world was shaped in a fundamental way by the emergence of printing, and everybody, even people who didn't yet know how to read, had to learn how to live and function in that world. Um, the the other thing I, I really want to pick up on, and I think that the, the the Reformation example is a really helpful one then, is to say that religions always being worked out in particular media contexts. There's no, uh, and, and I think people are resistant to hearing that. We have this kind of naive sense that there was some pure unmediated religious era and the more people talk about it, the further back they push it. But but it's part of that. Well, if we could get back to the early church model before they screwed Christianity up, um, then somehow that would be perfect. And and I think it's much more. I think part of what 
thinking through the digital helps us see is that religion, in fact, has always been more fluid than we thought. And that, in fact, living in a print culture that wanted to lock things down, in a sense, distorted our sense of what religion was like. And it tended to reduce Christianity then to to the sense that there were sort of agreed on norms and that they were really unchanging. Um, and, And the digital lets us see, well, it's not true in our era. And it becomes a lens to look back at past eras and say, well, it really wasn't true in their eras. So this idealized uh, early church where everybody agreed and had a kind of shared experience of the faith. Well, if we just read the scriptures, we know that's not true. That's what I mean. This is why there are multiple gospels. This is why uh, when we read uh, the Pauline and pseudo-Pauline letters, we see that the communities they're addressed to have very different practices of faith and different understandings of God and their relationship to Jesus and the structure of uh, the community, including things like gender hierarchy, they don't agree. And the creeds that now, looking back from our perspective, look like, oh, they're just, this is what everybody agreed to. These were the momentary negotiations of of a fluid community trying to figure out how do we stay in conversation with each other? I think, The challenge for us today, uh, let me say it's not the challenge, the the gift of some of that for us today is to see that our moment is not as strange and alien as it can seem to us. Um, And and that um, we can in in that kind of take permission to find new ways to be in conversation about the structures of our religious identity, about what our religious communities are gonna look like and what religious authority is gonna look like. So what, so what you guys do is an example of that. This is, uh, this is not an old model of religious authority in which um, the experts simply put information out there. It's a deliberately flattened conversational style. So your, your goal is not just to sort of have your stay and everybody should get in line. Your goal is to launch a conversation. So if people don't respond to the beard cast, you really failed um, you know, in, in a different way than the old style church newsletter that just went out and the pastor said, here's what we're gonna do and here's what the big ideas are. Um, you know, and I'm going to preach and I'm going to tell you, um, and then you can ask questions maybe at some point, but it's really about information flowing out, uh, from, from a center. You're involved in creating a much more kind of networked web of conversations, uh, that reflects this quite different understanding of what the religious life's going to look like. Yeah, and that's something we bump into constantly. I mean, we're starting year six on this thing, and you know, in the church world, we like to we like to look at metrics and you know how many people are doing this and responding mm-hmm. and engaging and blah blah blah. And with we found out really quickly with the podcast, we don't know. 
Uh, yeah. We really don't know what our demographic is because it's yeah. really kind of from however early on people mm -hmm. can uh, download a podcast and figure that out to however old they are to, mm -hmm. you know, we have anybody from youth to, of course, young adults and, and UMW groups have used our yeah. stuff. As, and it's, it's fascinating in that, uh, you're right, it's that little web of things. Uh, but when we've tried to go and, and get funding or grants or anything like that, the church world doesn't understand. Well, you, yeah. you got to have so many people. Yeah, that's not how this works. Uh, yeah. We're not overly famous people, so we're not going to get tens and thousands of people listening to this. But what we do have are, you know, two, three, four hundred people who engage us on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. And we we have the hope and faith that those conversations are then okay. going into their friend groups. And we don't know. We don't know how many folks this does, but we're uh, yeah. we operate on the hope and faith that it's out there, right? And, yeah. you know, Matt and I love doing it as a spiritual practice and we're having the conversations anyways, but uh, maybe I can speak for Matt, but I know for me, at least it taught me to bring that back into the day-to-day -day church world of, yeah, we don't know where this is going. We don't know when folks leave our congregations or the podcast or, you know, our digital ministries, whatever it is we're speaking into, who they then go and have the conversation with and how it impacts their life yeah. and the community around them. Uh, and it's, it's taught me to let that go. I don't need to know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I just have to hope. <laughs> yeah. I, I think that the, um, sort of the model of, of church of congregational life that we were all acculturated into, um, assumed a kind of rigidity that really rested in, uh, uh kind of, pre-technological rural world or urban neighborhood world that was quite stable. Mm -hmm. And so our, our vision of congregations is that they're made up of people who are mostly born into the congregation, spend their life as part of the congregation, occasionally you draw a few people in, and you have very clear boundaries. This is why membership has been so important to denominations and congregations. How many members do you have? Um, and uh, things like the beard cast uh, don't have members. Right. Um, and I don't think that's a problem. I think that's a model of a new form of religious life in which things that, that reflects this digital fluidity. People come and go, they network out. So you may be part of their network for a while, but not forever. And in, in, so in the old model, the local church or the pastor is the center. Everybody relates out to this hub. Um, and we and we know where the boundaries are. And therefore, when people approach the church, it's very important that they make a decision. Either they move in and they become a member and they join the existing groups and they um, or they don't and they go away. And it's culturally inappropriate today because the culture is a, is, is a fluid culture in which people come and go, build relationships, um, 
and uh, some some of which are quite quite transitory. Um, I think um, the the church has to better learn um, from uh, the kind of kind of public moments of religion. Uh, so I think of things like when John Lennon dies and tens of thousands of people show up in the park and they sing his songs and they light candles. And uh, there's a kind of significant moment of public mourning. Now those people never come back together. It's not that they're an ongoing existing community like a congregation, but something spiritual is really happening there. And, and as people are less involved in local churches, we see that acted out. So um, in, you know, in my community a few weeks ago, uh, a child was shot outside a middle school and there, there comes this kind of ongoing reckoning with that of the showing of the shooting uh they burn candles they bring teddy bears which be, seems to become the symbol for around dead children um they sing songs some of which are religious and kind of part of their traditional religion heritage um and so if you think of these as the sort of ends of a spectrum, way over here, there are fixed congregations made up of people who've lived together for generations and are highly committed. They, you know, they share a set of values and norms and habits. And at the other end are these momentary drum circles and acts of mourning and celebrations of the solstice. And then there's a spectrum in between. And, and I, congregations have to figure out how to move in the direction of the center of that spectrum, it seems to me. And so they have to be more welcoming of people who, who drift through. Um, and that's a hard skill to live, just walked through the room a minute ago. Louise and I visited a congregation when we had first moved to Denver. And uh, we, you know, we come in and we, we know how to do this. We found a pew, we sit down, we're looking at the bulletin. A woman walks up to us. Now there are maybe 10% of the church is full. She walks up to us, she says, you're in my seat. What she signals is, this is my congregation, it's set. Um, nothing's supposed to change. You're welcome as long as you find your place around us. Um, we we got to let that go. Um, hey, the uh, the way pastors are too sophisticated to say that, but um, we've all heard pastors say on Christmas or Easter. Uh, to, to their many visits, you know, it's such fun to have you all here and sharing this, but they say something like, you know, we do this 52 times a year. 
know, if uh, so, so we say to them, if if you're not interested in that, if you're not committed to being a regular attender, uh, it's really something wrong with you being here, and something wrong with uh, the depth and spiritual commitments you have. What, uh, what if we begin to think, no, this is this is a real spiritual moment for people. And it may not have the structure that um, it has for people who do come a lot. Um, but, but what if we decide we're going to welcome that? We're going to create moments. You know, so, so um, you know, the kind of pub theology movement is, is an example of this effort to create kind of drop in church space, uh, come be part of the conversation, um, take what's useful to you. Nobody guilts you about whether you're gonna be here the next time or not. Um, and, and I think we're just beginning to try and figure out what it looks like to create those structures. And, and I do think it's an institutional problem because the, the institutional church is really anxious and it has good reason to be anxious. It's, you know, it's, it's had at least a 50 year slide in which every five to 10 years denominations say, we have a new plan to reverse um, our membership decline. And if you just do these things, it will go back to post-World War II suburban America where everybody is they're supposed to be part of the church and churches will look like they looked then. Um, and I think part of, part of what faithfulness looks like today is for us as, as leaders to manage our anxiety about that, including managing our anxiety about our relationship with the institution in order to say, we're just, we're gonna keep doing these new things. Um, and we know it's hard and we know you can't quite see where we're going. Um, and to, you know, to, to find the language to talk about that. Um, and in fact, we have, good biblical language to talk about that. I think, uh, I think the Exodus is an important story right now, um, that God is taking us to a new place we've never been to. And, and Moses is leading the people to a place he's never been. Uh, and he, he has a confidence that it is in fact the land of milk and honey. You know, there is a good place for us in this new world, but we with the journey. And Exodus takes a long time. Um, I, uh, I can't remember uh, the source of this, but somebody once said, you know, the reason that Exodus takes as long as it takes is a generation has to die off before they can get to the land of milk and honey. You have to you have to kill the old story enough to make room for a new way of, of relating. That's maybe a little harsh, but yeah, 
gosh, there's so much there. <laughs> I, I think the big work that I've been doing this year, you know, so so much of our institution says, you know, you you have a rural family church or a small family church, and then you move, you take this big mm-hmm. jump into a, a programmatic church. And I think there's something in between. Um, that's a that's a stepping stone or a bridge in between those two, but but lives on its own. And I would consider it a, a community church, right? Where it's exactly what you're talking about. We have this ebb and flow of, of people coming and going. Uh, they don't have to marry into the church to be part of the family. Uh, they have their community here, whether that's you know something like a pub theology or a wilderness church or you know a, a funeral, right? And and you just happen to preside over that funeral and that's their moment for a community uh, within your church. Mm-hmm. And in none of those uh, spaces, none of those community areas point back to putting somebody's butt in a pew in the church, uh, that they found their church, they found their community where they needed to, and it doesn't revolve or, or hinge on whether they show up on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. It's, they showed up over here and let us be happy with that. Uh, let yeah. us celebrate that. And that's yeah. a hard, that's a hard transition, um, because just so many of our folks, regardless of size of church, we love our family, right? And so much of our church buildings and space and the way that we do worship says we're a family here, just like what you said. You know, you're in my pew. Well, there's 13 empty pews that surround us. Why can't you just sit behind me or in front of me? Yeah. Uh, and and so much of what our language says to visitors yeah. and people that surround us are you're in my pew. Uh, we're glad yeah. that you're here, but you're in my pew. Uh, yeah. and, and we want you to come sit in a pew, just not mine. And, yeah. and I think that's something that the digital world uh, has, has been significant in, in building that community of, well, here's my community and here's where I'm finding it. Let's celebrate that. Uh, and how can we bring that back into the physical that doesn't say show up on Sunday, but says show up at the brewery and let's have a beer or at the coffee shop. Or if you just live inside my computer and you're the community there, yeah. great. We celebrate yeah. that. Well, yeah, I think, that's, the, that's right. I think one of the things you kind of, you kind of were touching on, and I think it's a thing that Zach and I both struggle with, um, is metrics. And we have, uh, these metrics, um, that don't fit into the digital world, the digital spectrum of, you know, um, a good example for me is in in my congregation, I have a family of four that logs into Facebook every week and they make their brunch and they have, um, they have worship with brunch and it's a beautiful thing. Um, and that's the way they feel connected. And they're doing that because they have a daughter who has an autoimmune disease and it's safer for her. It's safer for them to stay at home than it is for them to be in public, uh, in a public mm-hmm. space like ours. I mean, they risk it enough mm-hmm. going to school. Why risk it uh, in yeah. worship? And so when they like, when you see that view from them, it only counts it as one. When in reality, it's four. And mm-hmm. and and unless they chime in, unless they log in and say, "Hey, we're here," you know, we can't use the old metric of saying, you know, in, in, in physical space, it's easy to see, well, there's the family of four. In the digital world, it's hard to know who may be listening and how they may be viewing, how they may be taking it in. And, and the struggle that we have is our metrics are designed for such a physical space that it's hard for us. And we've already kind of touched this a little bit. It's hard for us to really fit the old metric into the new world but yet we're doing it anyway 
how can we change that narrative and make it more of a narrative to know that like to and this is the thing i've been trying to do is to be more narrative focused of saying hey this family here this is why they're not physically here but they're digitally here or um you know we have three or four families that attend digitally but have only stepped foot in our space twice mm -hmm. in the last three years because you know um and so you know kind of what are your thoughts on like this you know we're gonna have to change the metric obviously you know what yeah. are some thoughts on that that you you know kind of stirring up within you so so you want the good news or the bad news first? <laughs> hey i at this point it's all news so <laughs> <laughs> so so i think the bad news is the institutional church our denominations are going to continue to be anxious about this in ways that are unhelpful um and yeah, so so they're going to continue to and 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 one of the one of the things that flows out of that is this divide between sort of denominational Christianity and these emerging project projects, many of which say denominations just aren't worth the effort anymore. You know, um, it's it's not worth what we get from them to put up with uh, that their anxiety and their and their lack of, of vision. Now, as people ordained into a tradition and appointed by a bishop, it's hard for you all to sort of say that. And I'm not even arguing that you should. Um, I do think uh, those of us who continue to make some kind of investment in the life of denominations have to have conversation a couple of directions. And so we have to keep talking to our denominations and interpreting them what we're doing. And I think you're right. It, um, it is a narrative interpretation. It's not just a matter of saying, how many clicks did we get? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, of trying to help them see what the clicks mean, of uh, seeing, why and how these different models are in fact making a difference. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that ought to shape the way you write your pastor's report for your district superintendent at the end of the year and, and, and things like that. Uh, you also have to think about how you stay in conversation with other innovators, um, some of whom are outside the denomination. Um, and I, I, these are in some ways the hardest conversations to have because everybody is struggling for somebody who has figured this out and will tell us what, what to do. Um, you know, it's connected to, you know, so, so when I go and talk to congregations about this, Inevitably, somebody's going to say, "Yeah, okay, but how do we pay for this?" You know, if if people don't join the church and make a pledge, uh, how do we pay for this? Um, and I wish there were a good, easy answer. Um, uh, the part of the bad news is a number of congregations aren't going to make it. Um, I mean, the the. 50-year slide, or maybe it's a 70-year slide now that we've been talking about, is going to continue um, because we are moving to 
into a culture in which old models of membership, not just in church, but in other kinds of institutions, don't make sense to people, uh, even to people who want some, some kind of spiritual life. Um, so, you know, how do we move in their direction? How do we, um, how do we think about what it means to be faithful in the midst of that kind of transition? Um, and now, this is this is easier for me. I grant you. I'm 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 now retired. There's there's money in my pension account, um, <laughs> and so I'm always cautious about how I talk about this to people who are 20 and 30 years behind me, trying trying to figure out what, what ministry is gonna look like. But the church doesn't exist for you and I to have careers. The church mm. exists in order that there be ministry in the world, um, that, that good news gets spoken. And, so one of the things that's happening is, on the one hand, a kind of struggle over how many people religion can really support, and people creatively trying to figure out, um, how do I make a, a living and that's gonna let me send my kids to college and let me retire someday? Um, when the denomination's less and less able to guarantee that it's going to be able to give that that to me. And uh, so people are entrepreneurial. Um, I mean, I can get on your website and buy a beard cast mug or a cap or something. Uh, it's probably not a, not a lot of money, um, but... Um, you know, people write books, people begin to do consulting. Um, congregations are kind of rethinking their structure and asking how many professionals do we need? Um, certainly by vocationality. So, so we, you know, we see more part-time pastors. The challenge of that is it's really hard to be create, creatively engaged in ministry a quarter time while you're working a full-time job at something else. I think the more, the more interesting long-term productive efforts are the people who are figuring out new ways um, to, un to undergird ministry. Uh, but what that's gonna look like I mean, there's just, there is no blueprint out there. You know, we're all, we're all trying to figure it out as we work along. And, you know, the, I, I say sort of casually, so there are going to be fewer congregations. There are also going to be fewer theological schools where I spent most of my career uh, because we largely haven't figured out a model of theological education that doesn't rest on an economic base that presupposes if you if you go to seminary, you're then going to have a middle class job in the church for the rest of your career. Mm -hmm. um, and so, 
so all of that is shifting. It's hard not to be anxious. Uh, it's not particularly helpful to be anxious. And so we try to manage our anxiety. We try to manage the anxieties of our congregations that certainly feel this as well. Um, but not by denying that there are things to be anxious about, but by uh, living into a theology that says God is with us in the midst of this, uh, that the God who did uh, a new thing in um, the fluid past is going to do a new thing among us. Uh, I Increasingly, the Holy Spirit is important in my own theology because the Holy Spirit is God at work among us. Uh, God in the unfolding life of uh, the community and, and, and of people. Uh, and it's, it's the easiest way to get past our desire for established rigidity, it's to live into that piece of God that uh, is clearly in all of our descriptions of the spirit, fluid and moving and taking us a place we didn't know we were going to go. I love your attention to um, just naming probably the reality of the bivocational piece for pastors. Um, yeah. I, I've, well, for the last six or eight years, I've, I've essentially been bivocational as a full-time pastor. Mm -hmm either a three-point charge or two-point charge or my current appointment, half, half my salary comes from the conference because I work for the district and I pastor my church. Um, and, and for me, that's been incredibly freeing and, and letting go of, well, I'm going to have this guaranteed appointment for the rest of my life and I'll be able to retire out of this to, well, how do we be creative and do, do what I, I, I'm called mm -hmm. to do in ministry and be creative on how I do that and where yeah. I do it. And uh, I think it's going to be something that, um, that, every, that we're all going to have to think about uh, in at least my lifetime as yeah. we, we head towards retirement and things like that. But uh, for me, it's been incredibly freeing and being able to have some, some irons in the fire mm -hmm. and to think mm -hmm. about, well, how can I make uh, this calling as a pastor work? And, and not just be so rigid that it's this and it's a single appointment and it's in this part of the country, but, but how do I open myself up to, to yeah. do exactly hear from the Holy spirit and see where God's at work around me and live into that and, and not be so stuck in a, in a model that just, it's not going to be, it's already not a reality, but it's definitely not going to be a reality in 25, 30 years. Yeah. When in the, mid-70s when I was getting ready to go off to theological school, um, my pastor had been uh, a tool and die maker before he went to seminary. And uh, he told me about a week before I left for school um, that every year he paid his union dues. So it wasn't very expensive because he wasn't really working, you know, and it cost him $100 a year or something to stay a member of the union. And he said, I do that as a reminder that I practice ministry because it's a calling and that if it stops being a calling, if I stop being, feel, feel like I'm being effective, I have something else to do. Um, 
And, you know, he retired from ministry years later, um, but he paid his union dues because it reminded him of something. And, um, you know, again, not, not easy. Uh, if you, um, do you have obligations in your lives? And um, it's not that we cannot, we can somehow naively not think about those things, or at least I'm not very good about considering the lilies of the field. I, um, I, I, I um, but I think we, you know, the, the more we can live in trust, the more we can free creative space to try new things. And I, and I think part of what digital culture teaches us because of this fluidity is you ought to expect you're gonna try a bunch of things and they're not all gonna work out. And that's really okay because everything remember is this digital process of editing and re-editing. Um, so, so in, in, I have to get the commercial in. So in the book, in Church's Network, um, I, one, of, one of the examples I use to sort of describe this world is Wikipedia. Uh, because I think, you know, a, a wiki is never done. Every reader is a potential editor. You get into Wikipedia, you just click on the edit button and change anything you read. And so if I write a wiki and Matt gets on and reads it and says, um, well, that's interesting, but it's not quite right. Let me, and he plays with it for a little bit. And then somebody else who I don't know at all gets on and plays with it some more. And in the end, you the are, all of those old categories that are important to people who are academics about authorship, and, you know, this is my work, um, are, are out the window. Um, I, I can't point to a place where the wiki is finished. It might constantly be redone. It's harder and harder to say, this was my piece of it. And it really works against the logic of the Woody wiki to want to do that. Um, I think the wiki's about that process of community discerning uh, in a kind of conversational space that tries to talk about something. So if we, if we believe that, then we try lots of stuff. Um, and some of it is really useful for a season. You know, it's... Um, it's these moments of community mourning. Um, some of it builds communities that last for a longer period. Some places communities are gonna continue for a very long time. Uh, but, but we're in a world that encourages all of that and in which all of it is in flux and changing. And, and so there's a kind of permission giving in that. Right, um, you know, so we've just come through New, New Year's. You guys uh, did a little reflection on how we think about that and whether whether it's useful to have um, New Year's resolutions 
emotions or not. Um, but whatever the markers are, you know, it, it, it's nice to say, okay, so what did we do and what worked and what do we want to do next? And, and to try and get free of saying, well, we have to do it this way because we've always done it this way. Well, that's what I really appreciated about uh, just growing, going through your book is, is that web that you connect with all of the folks who were doing um, doing ministry, building community, yeah. you know, whether it's, um, you know, Jerry at After Hours uh, when he was there and as it, and as it continues to go, right? Yeah. Um, or, or Nadia there and, and how she's transitioned. Um, <laughs> you threw a shameless plug in for us and what we're doing here in the podcast. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I loved that idea. Like you say, it's just, it's this the wiki of it all. We're taking the pieces here and there, yeah. putting them together and trying to, to build these communities that may or may not last forever. And let's be okay with that. Let's see yeah. how these live and breathe and thrive in the moments that we need and how they build the network where, when and where they need them. And let's let them go, you know, instead of hanging on until mm-hmm. the bitter end and, and we're just dying and frustrated and, you know, uh, grieving to something that died 50 years ago. Right. Yeah. Uh, but just that, like you said, the, the whole thing of permission giving, right. Just you have permission to go and do the thing. And if it mm-hmm. works great, if not go do the next one, <laughs> it'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. What, what we're called to do here, whether it's as pastors or as people, whatever it is, we're called, it's not a rigid calling. Uh, I, I fully believe it's a, a living mm-hmm. calling and it's, uh, you know, it lives and breathes just like you and I do and uh, has that ebb and flow and the ups and downs and in such a beautiful way. And, and I love thinking about that as the network and how we're all interconnected in that. Well, and that's the fun thing about this, and especially as like this is a podcast and, you know, the work that we're doing today with you, um, this is something, you know, we could talk days about this gotcha. stuff and just, yeah, yeah I, I, you know, I've been taking notes and kind of like mental notes too, like mm-hmm. um, about some things to think about and just to have conversation about with my team um, as, as we continue to navigate how to do ministry in yeah. this global pandemic that's definitely forced the church to go in a direction nobody was ready for. Um, and I think that um, even someone like me who was semi-ready kind of doing those things already was still not as prepared as they would have loved to have been. Um, but I think that um, you know, one of the things you had said, you highlighted the idea of the Exodus and, um, you know, that Moses led through um, with that, with the understanding that there was going to be um, something better on the other side. What that looks like, he doesn't know. He just knows that it was going to be something better. And, and I think that's, mm-hmm. if we can keep our eyes on that ideal, that there's going to be something better at the end of this, at mm-hmm. our end. And, and if we can always, you know, my mantra and the ministry that I'm in, you know, being a clergy person in the United Methodist Church means that I'm never somewhere for a very long extended time, means that my job should be to leave that place in a better position than when it was when I got there, M- moving it forward, continuing on yeah. the, the narrative that they've had over the years, because obviously at some point they were uh, there was something good there and, um, there's still in a lot of places, there still is good going mm-hmm. on. How can we continue that? And even as the things change, whether it's, um, virtual or, um, you know, in-person gatherings, not being what they once were, 
you know, and then we won't even talk about hybridity and how do you handle the hybridness of church as we're shifting in that, that spectrum, but it's going to be okay. And I think that that's the thing that we need to hear as clergy. It's going to be okay. The journey is not going to be easy. However, there is something better on the other side of this. And and I think with your book, I think it will help people as they dive into that a little more, you know, uh, ministry teams and, you know, however your whatever structure you are, uh, our listeners, you know, I want to encourage you to, to dive into the book a little bit and, and, and use it as kind of that beacon of hope that there can be more. And, and here are some people doing some different things, utilizing some ideas to help you maybe look outside of your box uh, and grow in your ministry, in your ministry field, because um, the ministry field's a lot bigger than what it was three years ago. I mean, and that's yeah. the reality we live into. And so, you know, I, I definitely thank you for your time today. Um, and if you want to pitch the book again, so that way we can uh, direct our listeners to it. And- sure. Uh, the, the book is Church's Network, Christian Life and Connection in Digital Culture. I'm Jeffrey Mahan. Uh, and it's a Roman and Roman and Littlefield Alban Institute book. Uh, and I sent Zach a flyer. For, mm-hmm. So he's going to post a code so people can get 30% off uh, if they'd like to order the book. Yep. Yeah, we'll have that code all over our uh, social media and website and everywhere this podcast goes. So look for that. That's great. We'll just have a little mutual promotion going on and Absolutely. that'll be good. Absolutely. Guys, this has been such fun. Thank uh thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you for being on. Uh like I said, it's uh it's been a long time coming. Uh ah. I've appreciated you appreciated you as a as a uh, as a teacher and, and human being for a long time and, and so glad you you agreed to spend some time with us. Good. Well, I hope there'll be more occasions for us to do this. I definitely Absolutely. would love to have you. Yes. Great. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, you have an open invitation. Anytime you want to come on and, and disrupt the world with us, you're more than welcome. <laughs> Great. We definitely thank you for your time and um, want to encourage our listeners to go on our website at beardedtheologians.com. Uh, there you'll find the coupon code to buy the book at, uh, at a reduced rate. Um, and that'd be great. Like I said, I, I definitely recommend it for you as a, as a if you're a ministry leader, um, I dec- definitely recommend it for you and your team, um, and have conver- healthy conversation. Um, and you can find that at our website at beardedtheologians.com. And so for the bearded theologians, I'm Matt Franks. Uh, I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. So, so as we, uh, ended the podcast with, with Jeffrey, uh, Matt and I started, uh, just, just chatting um, <laughs> just about our thoughts and our opinions and things that we wanted to, um, I, you know, you know, when you have a good conversation and you go home and you're taking a shower and you're like, oh man, that's what I got from it. Right. Um, we want to kind of start doing that after interviews and, and just share with you all that. Um, you know, and some of my general reflections, uh, we were talking, you know, we've been doing this for six years now and, uh, just reflecting on the conversations we've had and what we're doing and, that that six years ago podcasts were kind of a thing but in the church world it was sermons uh they weren't conversations and things and interviews and things you know as a whole in in just appreciating what we're doing uh just for ourselves right just a little little pat on the back and encouragement for ourselves but uh what our for me what our conversation with jeffrey really touched on 
was uh, often Matt and I get asked, how do you start a podcast? What do you do? You know, how do you do digital church? What, whatever the medium is, right? We, we get a lot of questions on how do you, how do you do that? Where do you start? And for me, my response is always just do anything, right? Um, your concept doesn't have to be perfect. Uh, the podcast doesn't have to be perfect. If you wait to get everything perfect and exactly the way you want it, you're never going to put anything out. And I think Jeffrey touched on that quite a bit and the rigidity of the denominations or structures and things like that, that keep us, um, you know, as pastors and as, as church people kind of in a box, we get this thinking of, well, we gotta, we have to do it the certain way. And if it's not perfect, we can't put it out. And, you know, what we've done with the podcast, we've had some consistency, but it, it seems to ebb and flow and change and grow. And if we weren't willing, if we had to have a perfect product every time, I don't know that we would have had the room for that. And to talk to some of the people we've talked to and had the conversations in, and I wanted to bring that up during, during our conversation with Jeffrey and, and talking about rigidity and structure and things like that, but there, there wasn't quite a chance, but that was, that's what kept floating around in my head is just that reminder to his reminder and permission to be fluid in what we're doing. Well, and I think that, um, yeah, as I was listening to him the entire time, like his use of the idea of the wiki was, was really great that it's a continual process of, (laughs) of editing and yeah. fact checking and yep. making sure like, you know, like, uh, you know, Bob Saget died earlier this week and like instantly I went to his wiki page. So I'm, I'm, I always do that when someone dies and like they're famous, I want to kind of read their wiki. Cause it's kind of, that's a great kind of a starting point. Not so it's the end all be all. And as someone who, you know, was a professor, like definitely not the end all be all of information, but it's a great start. Cause you can always find resources and things, but you know, within, within a minute it, that page had already been edited. And, mm-hmm. and I think the thing within the church too, is that we forgot that that's what the church was really about. We were a continuous narrative of the story of how God works in the world. And we have, in my mind, I feel like we've forgotten that, but I feel like, like we can recapture that um, by focusing more on the narrative than less on the getting their part and mm-hmm. the, the, the anxiety that comes with getting there part is far higher than the anxiety of just being present and being aware of the narrative and, and being aware where God's at work and, and on you and through you. And, and, right. and I think we've lost that in the way of, we want the, we want the finished HTML five page, right. not the wiki page that can be changed as needed. Right. Um, and I think that that's something, you know, ha- as you're, working with your teams or, you know, as you're, whatever you do, however you're doing life, right? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think if we can look at it as more of an edit, then, you know, continuous edit. So very basic Methodist theology here. We're on a journey working towards perfection. It's Mm -hmm. not that we have it perfect now. It's not that we hit publish and it's perfect now, but it's, we hit publish with the intent of editing as we go, because we're going to learn and grow as we move forward. And I think that that, um, man, like he was very Wesleyan in his approach on that mm-hmm. <laughs> using mm-hmm. the wiki. Cause it is very, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I feel like we have lost that idea of the edit. 
mm-hmm. in faith. And right. Um, well, and, and we spent so long, right, having to be uh, all together, right? Yes. That that if you're going to be a Christian, you have it all together. If you're going to go to church, you have it all together. Um, and there's plenty of really unhealthy theologies out there that tell you, you know, well, if you didn't have it all together, you didn't have it anyways, or, you know, you're just backsliding, or you're this or that, Um and that's something I appreciate <laughs> and truly why I'm Methodist is we acknowledge that journey, that there are days that we hit the effort button and move on. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and there are days that we just, we don't want to, and we can claim that. We can claim that and still have a relationship with God. We can claim that and still uh, be surrounded by love and grace. And we can claim that and still be be human. And uh, yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I love that imagery of the edit button. Um, you know, I, I think a lot about, we're six years into this thing. We've talked about a lot of stuff and each week we're like, Oh, we've already talked about that. I want to talk about it again. Right. Let's well, sometimes we do. And see where we went. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we do. And, and what's really funny is I'm going to be honest. Like, so here's the, here's how the sausage gets made. We never go back and listen to what we said before. Yeah. <laughs> um, we just know that we talked about it and we're going to talk about it again. And, right. you know, more than likely, I mean, we're not going to go verbatim to what we said before. Oh. Um, if we do, there's a whole other. Sure. I mean, to me, that's more about performance than it is about what right. we are intentional about this. Right. You know, our intentionality about this uh, podcast, you know, first off is to model what healthy theological discourse can look like, but then to also be willing to be a primer for a larger conversation, mm-hmm. whether that's you're listening to this with a group or you're listening this with uh, by yourself and you have, you know, you maybe you have someone, a spiritual uh coach that can help you um, discern uh, what it is that the spirit may be leading you to say. Um, And I think that those things um, can really grow if, um, and I, and and I loved his use of, of Moses and Mm -hmm. um, is that we have to be willing to trust that in the end, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and, and, and and that, the worst thing is not the last thing. I mean, I I know that's right. I mean, well, I think that's where the network comes in, right? That it's not one singular voice uh, in our lives and that we build, we build network and community around a variety of things inside and outside of the church that help us, um, (laughs) that help us evaluate things like scripture and tradition and reason and, uh, and, and all of those things that we put into this. And if it's one singular voice, we're not hitting the edit button. You know, we're, we're living into that rigidity um, or if we're unwilling to hear, if we're unwilling to grow. Uh, and I do, I, yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot of value to, uh, to this idea of, of life and spirituality being a wiki page uh, and should be. I mean, we shouldn't be and believe and think verbatim yeah. what we did 10 years ago or last year, or six months ago. Uh, and we shouldn't sit in this notion that if in six months from now, if everything is exactly the same, that we're doing great. I don't know. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, well, the, and I think... It, it, at least not with the willingness to say and evaluate and be honest, right? Right. Well, and I think too, you know, one of the things, and I was, I was thinking about this today um, with talking with him, um, is that 
we have to um, be willing to try. And we talk about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think where the church gets it wrong is they're not, they're too afraid to try yeah. uh, for a lot of reasons. Well, how many, um, how many folks have we seen in the last six months do away with digital ministries? Oh yeah. Or do we do away with the hybridity of worship? Yeah. Well, and that's the one thing I think we have to um, lean into harder is that we are in a world of hybridity. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe that will be his next book. I'll let him write that or whoever else wants to write it. Just note me in it. And I'd be glad to talk <laughs> about that. Um, I've been studying hybridity since I was in seminary because it's been interesting to me um, as a hybrid person. I mean, I really am a hybrid person, a person who has white family and a native, but really feels connected as native roots. You know, I'm definitely one of, I'm definitely a hybrid and recognize my hybridity. Um, but I see that in the church too, that we're now in a hybrid world. And I found myself seeing that on Sunday, you know, I, I now tell people um, when they're speaking that the camera is a person and that that's mm-hmm. a third person. You got to look at the camera kind of reminds me of that time we did that thing. And I was told I got to look at the camera. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah remember that thing? <laughs> look at the camera more. Uh, mm-hmm. But you learn to grow. You hit the edit button. You learn how to look at the damn camera. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or we do 50 takes because I can't look at the camera because I do don't that. know what to do with my hands. <laughs> um, you know, uh, we want to thank our listeners for listening and you know, we're, um, we just will provide this as a space to unpack and kind of just have continual conversation. Uh, we don't want to eat up more of your time because this could actually be like part three of this podcast for this week <laughs> um, or part five, six, however you want to yeah. unpack that. Yeah. Um, but we want to encourage you to go to our website at beardedtheologians.com. We've got a lot of great content and, and you know, there's a lot of great content up of, from the past uh, five years that would just be great to listen to and would encourage you to listen to it. And so um, if you ever have time, you know, give us a listen. Um, also, please, um, one of the things that helps us get our podcast out there a little bit more is the, um, you know, like and share us, but then also um, uh, give us a review on our, uh, wherever you're listening to the podcast, however you listen to the podcast, um, because de- depending on your platform uh, also, de- you know, depends on, you know, if, if the more you like it, the more it gets out there. And so, you know, please feel free to do that as well. And so for the Bearded Theologians, I'm Matt Franks. I'm Zach Bechtold. Thanks for checking us out. I want you to subscribe and like this video. And put that thumbs, push that thumbs up. Thank you for listening to the Bearded Theologians podcast. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share on all social media outlets. You can check out old episodes and more information at beardedtheologians.com. Thanks for checking us out.